Amen. Uh, we're picking back up in our series in 1 Samuel. Today we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Um, and the last time uh, was actually two weeks ago because we had our baptisms last week, which was uh, great. Pastor Jason uh, preached on baptism. Uh, but last time we were in Samuel, we were looking at um, Saul's uh, assassination attempts of, of David, uh, that, that he tried to kill David three different times, three different times God uh, stopped him in different ways. Um, and the last time uh, was that, that David had fled to uh, Nioth in Ramah, where uh, Samuel was, and Samuel had a, a sort of spiritual revival going on there. Um, lots of people prophesying and praising God and singing songs and uh, just a, a really like emotional uh, kind of time. And, and so Saul even sends assassins to that, um, and they get caught up in it three different times, and then eventually Saul goes himself, uh, thinking, finally, I'm, I'm just going to have to do this myself. Um, he shows up, and he also gets swept up in it um, to where he's prophesying and praising God, and, um, and, and he even, um, in his uh, religious ecstasy and uh, bewilderment, he, he uh, strips himself naked, and he's lying there on the ground. Um, and, and I think uh, it's most likely that during that time that's, that David decides to go back home. He goes back uh, to the palace. He goes back to, uh, to, his, to the home. And, and you might ask, like, why, is he, why did he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he go back when he knows that Saul's trying to kill him? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, he, his whole life is there. Right, that, that's where his life is, is where his wife is, um, that's, that's where he has responsibilities. Like, he, he cares about what's going on there. He wants to go back for those reasons. Um, he also knows that, that it's not as though the only thing Saul can do is kill him. Right? A very common thing in this kind of situation would be for Saul to then turn and start to hurt his family. Right? He'd go after his parents, go after his brothers, um, go after his wife even. Um, right? He could do all of these things to hurt David without actually being able to touch him. And lastly, the reason that he goes back is because uh, it is time for the, the new moon festival. So every month, uh, every month there was a, a sacrifice that was meant to be given um, by, all, by the Israelites. Um, and it seems as though during this time, Saul himself had uh, hosted these uh, these sacrifices, and then also kind of had a family-specific celebration around it. And remember, David is Saul's son-in-law. So, uh, so David goes back for this celebration. Here, here's what it looks like, this, uh, this sacrifice that's uh, commanded to be given every month in Numbers 28, 11 through 15. It says, at the beginning of your months, you shall offer a burnt offering to Yahweh, two bulls from the herd, one ram, seven lambs, a year old without blemish, also three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil for each bull, and two-tenths of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil for the one ram, and a tenth of fine flour mixed with oil as in a grain offering for every lamb, for a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to Yahweh. Their drink offerings shall be half a hin of wine for a bull, a third a hin for a ram, and a quarter of a hin for a lamb. This is the burnt offering of each month throughout the months of the year. Also one male goat for a sin offering to Yahweh, it shall be offered beside the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. So you can see um, that 
all the offerings are meant to be burnt offerings. All the commanded monthly offerings are burnt offerings, but they could also offer peace offerings alongside of those and make it a feast, which is clearly what Saul has done. He's decided to make this a, a, a monthly feast and all the family is expected to be there. Um, and that's really all that we have to understand about this, right? We don't, we don't need to understand why. It's not commanded, like I said. So we don't need to know why did David feel obligated to be there. Why do they have these monthly uh, feasts uh, where they uh, do this along with this, this commanded feast? Why are they, uh, this commanded sacrifices, why do they have this feast? All we really have to understand is this is a family dinner that, that everyone's expected to be at. And we can understand that, right? Because we have those, right? We have those kind of things. We just got done with the holidays. You expect people to be there. If they're not going to be there, they better have a good reason, right? They better have a good reason and tell you why they're not going to be there. But you expect people to show up. And you might even feel obligated to go to something. Maybe you've had that in the past where you feel obligated to go to something. And as we know, it doesn't really matter whether everything is going well in the family. These dinners are going to happen anyway. right? These dinners are going to happen no matter what tension there is, no matter what awkwardness there might be. You're going to have this dinner anyway, and maybe, there, maybe people don't show up, and that's its own kind of awkward. right? There's the own kind of tension there with the empty seats that you know are there. That's what's going on in this passage. It's a very human thing. right? This is a very normal thing for us that we can understand is that Often these kind of holidays require families to come together regardless of how things are going, and David was expected to be at the feast. So we'll dive in here, verses 1 through 23 of chapter 20. Then David fled from Nioth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, to his city. For there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, Good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of Yahweh with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out to the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, Yahweh, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, 
Yahweh do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May Yahweh be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of Yahweh that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when Yahweh cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with David saying, May Yahweh take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as I shot through a mark, as though I shot in a mark. And behold, I will send the boy saying, go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, look, the arrows are this side of you, take them. Then you are to come for as Yahweh lives, it is safe for you and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go and Yahweh has sent you away. For as for the matter of which you, have sp- you and I have spoken, behold, Yahweh is between you and me forever. Okay, so David comes back. He goes to Jonathan, his, his good friend. right? He says, what have I done? What is my guilt? Why is, is your father trying to kill me? And he doesn't understand. Right? There's no good reason. right? There's not a good answer to this. Saul is jealous of David. David hasn't done anything to him. He's only actually helped him to uh, defend his kingdom with the army, to defeat Goliath, right? to do all kinds of things that helped David. It helped Saul, but Saul is blinded by this jealous anger, right? He's blinded by this jealous anger that he has because David is highly esteemed, because he is what, John, what Saul was, right? When they came back, this all started when they came back from David defeating Goliath and then them defeating the Philistines, and the people were singing this song that said, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And this jealous anger has just continued to grow within Saul. But Jonathan uh, doesn't know that, right? And so he, he's incredulous. He goes, no, of course this is not going to happen. What are, you, what are you talking about? Why should my father hide this from me? Right? He says, I don't know this, and my father tells me everything. So if, if this were so, he would have told me, right? And, and he has good reason to think this, right? Because we have to remember that Jonathan had already talked Saul out of this once. Right? Saul had told Jonathan that he was going to kill David, and Jonathan talked him out of it, calmed him down, and then David came back and was serving in his house. That's the last thing that Jonathan knows happened between his father and David. But David assures Jonathan that Saul's seeking his life. He tells him, there is but a step between me and death. Because you don't understand, as soon as your father has the slightest opportunity, he is going to kill me. There is a step between me and death. Jonathan understands David's distress, right? Even if he doesn't quite believe it, he understands that he's distressed. He understands the problem, and so he sympathizes, right? He says, let's figure it out. Let's figure a plan out to confirm whether this is true or not. And he tells him, I'll do whatever you want me to do. So they devise this plan. The plan is David's not going to show up for the dinner. Everyone's going to notice because the seat's going to be empty. It's a family dinner. He's supposed to be there. And he says, if your father notices and if he asks, where's David? Then you're to tell him that I I asked permission to go to Bethlehem. 
Like, right, David says, that's a, a plausible thing that like he could go home. His family maybe has a special thing this particular month that, that, not, that not everybody has. And so, okay, we're supposed to go back for that. And my brothers asked me to go. And if Saul's satisfied with that because it's a good excuse, then he should say, hey, that's fine, good. Glad he's having a good time with his family. But if he's angry, then that tells me that, that I'm in trouble. That, that should tell you that, that David's in trouble because it means Saul is disappointed because he thought he was going to have a chance to kill David that time. Right? Saul thought that at the dinner, he's able to kill David if he's angry when David show, doesn't show up. So they make this plan, and then they, they also plan on how he's going to tell David whether or not this happened. And they have this whole scheme of shooting the arrows, and he's going to have a boy with him who will go fetch the arrows. If he tells them, oh, they're past you, it means get out of here, it's, it's dangerous. But if he says, they're on this side of you, then it means it's safe to come back. Really simple system. And, and this is the same place David's hiding himself, the same place that he did the last time that they went through this, where Jonathan actually took Saul out to this field and calmed him down and, and, and talked him out of killing David. So they've been here before. So Jonathan and David make a covenant. Jonathan promises uh, to tell David if he's in danger, and David promises to spare Jonathan when he avenges his enemies. Right? That's their, their, their deal here. He says, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. I'm going to tell you if you're in danger, but if I tell you if you're in danger and you can flee and everything, then you have to make sure that I, like, don't kill me, is Jonathan's essential thing here. Because what Jonathan is, we have to understand what Jonathan is doing and saying here. Because he says something interesting in this passage, I don't know if you caught it, go to the next slide. It says, may Yahweh be with you as he has been with my father. Jonathan says this to David. It's a weird thing to say. Right, you're bringing up his father, who we're talking about, try, is trying to kill David. He's saying, may God be with you as he's been with my father. It's just a weird time to bring up his father, right? But the reason that he, he says this and what this saying means is Jonathan is saying, may God be with you when you come to the throne as he's been with my father when he first came to the throne. He's, a, he's, a, a, he's accepting the fact that David will be the next king, which is not a small thing, right? because Jonathan should be the next king. Jonathan is like, and I think this sometimes escapes us a little bit because we just know that David's going to be king. Right? We've read this before. We know the story. We know King David is a big deal. And so we, we're, we're familiar and we like understand. So that... that that can often in our minds just go like, well, yeah, of course he's going to be king. Of course Jonathan's, of course Jonathan's not going to be king because we know what the outcome is. But at this moment in history where Jonathan and David are here together, the most obvious thing that would happen is that Jonathan would be the next king. He is the heir, right? He is the son of the king, the firstborn son of the king. He should be the next king. As far as, and everyone would accept it. Everybody would accept it. It makes sense that, that that's what everybody in this area, region does for most of history. This is how king, kings were passed down to the, the next generation. And so this makes sense. But what Jonathan is doing here is admitting, no, I think David should be the next king. David's the next king. 
He can see what God is doing, and he's accepting the fact that God has chosen David as the next king. And consider what he could do here. What he could do here is go, oh, this is a good chance for me to actually help my father. We can kill David together, and then I can be king. That's pretty tempting. Because really, all, all, all Jonathan has to do is do nothing. He doesn't have to do anything. Let his father kill David, and then he gets to be the next king. But in his humility, and that's what we're seeing here is, is his humility, he's accepting God's sovereign choice, even though his so- God's sovereign choice is not him. It's a difficult thing to do. It's a difficult thing to do. He's recognizing this isn't about him saying, he does not, he's not saying David's better than me. Or we're not even saying that he thinks that. He's not saying David's more qualified to be king than I am. I don't think we see anything in, this, in, in Scripture at all that tells us that Jonathan would be a bad king. He seems like a good guy. He seems like a faithful guy. He seems like he's actually committed to God and, and all of these things. He seems like he would be a pretty good king. But he's saying, I recognize God's sovereign choice of David over me. His humility is rooted in the fact that he recognizes uh, God's authority over all of these things. And that's been the core of Jonathan and David's relationship is their faith. Their faith is what drew them together to begin with. It's what Jonathan saw in David that attracted him to him as a friend was he saw how powerful his faith was, how much he believed in and wanted to defend God. And so it is God who will continue to bind them together regardless of how far apart they are. That's why they say at the end, God's between me and you forever. God is the one who binds us together. He is the one who's between me and you forever. We'll look next here at verses 24 through 34. See Jonathan's final plea with his father. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat as at other times on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite And Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day of the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city. My brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame, to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. So we notice in verse uh, 24 
It says the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Saul sat with his back to the wall all the time. Um, this is an old, like, uh, gunfighter's trick, right? Of like, hey, you got to make sure your back's to the wall. Make sure you can see the doors. Um, and, and we know that he sat with his spear in his hand a lot. And so that's what he's doing. He's paranoid, right? And, and, and we might say, like, well, they made a good reason he's the king and all of that. But the real reason he's paranoid, the reason he's doing these kind of things and sitting with his back to the wall and all that is because um, he knows God's not protecting him anymore. Right? God, God rejected him from being king. God's not protecting him anymore. And, and how would you feel if you knew for sure that God was not protecting you? That's what Saul's going through. Like he knows for a fact that God is not protecting him anymore. And, and so that, that's why he's got this, this paranoia going on. And, and he notices David's absence immediately. This is a two-night feast. If you remember from when we went through Leviticus, when they eat the peace offerings, um, they have to eat them um, within two days, right? They can eat the, the, the day of the sacrifice and the next day. So that's why these are two-day feasts, because it's a lot of meat. Uh, you need the whole family to, to eat all the meat, and it takes, and you can eat it over the course of two days. So it's a two-day feast. The first day, David's not there, and, and Saul excuses it for the most likely reason, which is um, if, he be, if he had made himself ceremonially unclean, uh, he couldn't come to the, the feast to eat the, of the peace offering. Um, and so that's, that would happen regularly, and that, that's okay. Um, and, and so he says, oh, that's, surely that's what's going on. Surely he's not clean. But lots of different ways, contact with the dead body, um, different kinds of emissions and that kind of thing that could happen that would make it so that he can't join the feast. And so that's excusable. The second day... Um, he asks Jonathan where he is. He goes, okay, where is he? And notice that he doesn't say his name, right? He says, where is the son of Jesse? Why? Because he's ready to kill him, and that's a way to dehumanize him, right? That's, that's an easy way to kind of dehumanize him, to, to call him the son of Jesse instead of saying his actual name. That's what's going on here. And, and Jonathan answers him with the planned answer that, hey, a legitimate answer. He's gone to Bethlehem to be with his family. Um, and, and Saul's anger flares up right at this. It's immediate. It's obvious. It's exactly what they talked about. He's not happy for him. He's angry that he's not there. And it's unclear what he even thinks of Jonathan's answer. It's unclear whether or not he believes him or not. He could be like saying, like, I don't, I don't believe you. Or he could be saying, like, how dare you let him go, right? But in either case, his anger is directed at Jonathan. And he calls him, uh, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Um, which is, uh, you know, the, not the words that are used. Obviously, the words that are used are, are in uh, Hebrew. Um, but we can understand that the translators are being generous, right, with, with this translation. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. We can, you can fill in the blanks on your own of what he's saying. He's cursing at him um, and, and cursing his own mother uh, and then saying, like, how dare you? This is to your shame and to the shame of your mother, even though he just insulted his mother. Um, and he, he knows that Jonathan has chosen David. And he says that this choice is to your own shame because of the exact same thing that we talked about, that if, unless David dies, Jonathan will never be king. 
And, and that's, what, that, that's what Saul's angry about. He's saying, if, you don't, if he doesn't die, you'll never be king. Your kingdom will never be established. Jonathan again defends him of what has he done? Why should he die? And in response, Saul hurls his spear at him, just as he did to David before. And really what we see here is that Saul's jealous anger has grown, and that's the only thing it ever does. Right? Anger and jealousy only ever grows in our hearts. And what we see here is it's spilled over to his own son now. Right? When he started this and he was first jealous of David, and, and that jealousy turned into anger and hate, and, and he had this directed at David, if someone had said, hey, you know, if you keep that up, eventually you're going to try to kill your own son, he would have said, nonsense. I hate him because of my son. I'm trying to do this for my son, which is what he even tells him. He goes, what are you talking about? Why would you side with him, Jonathan? If David doesn't die, you'll never be king. And then he defends him. And then what does he do? He tries to kill his own son. But he hurls a spear at his own son. Because that jealous anger has grown, it's spilled over to everyone else in his life. He never would have thought that this was going to happen. And that's true of us as well. When we have these feelings of jealousy and anger and hate, it spills, it continues to grow. It doesn't stop with one person. It affects how we treat everybody in our lives and that can spill over into other, other parts of our life. Which is what we see happening here with Saul. We'll look lastly at verses 35 through 42. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master, but the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said to him, go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of Yahweh saying, Yahweh shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. After he rose and departed and Jonathan, and he rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. So Jonathan does what he says he's going to do. He takes a, a small child with him, shoots the arrows, sends the boy after them, tells him, hey, the arrows are beyond you. But he adds to that, right? He doesn't just stick to the plan. He, he adds some emphasis. Hurry, be quick, right? He knows that it's very dangerous. This isn't as though his father has a distant plan. His father is in a murderous rage. who even tried to kill him. So the hurry, be quick makes sense for like the plan. But like notice how quickly it falls apart. Like he goes, do not stay. Though the boy was like, what are you talking about? I'm not, not going to stay out here in the field, of course. Like, it's weird, right? He's speaking to David. Right? He's telling David, hurry, be quick, don't, don't stay here. But then the boy leaves, sends him to town with the weapons, and then David comes out. Right? The plan's falling apart now. They, they want to see each other. 
he comes over to him. He bows before him, right, showing like his gratitude. Because, again, Jonathan made this great sacrifice for him. He, he's sacrificing not only his own spot on the throne, but he's risked his own life, right? Very literally risked his own life. His father threw a spear at him. So they have this sad goodbye that Jonathan didn't have to risk his life for David. He could have had the throne if David died. But they have this covenant. Jonathan is confident in what God is doing with David. They renew their covenant together again. They know that their friendship is founded in Yahweh. They say, Yahweh shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. We are united forever regardless of what, what else happens. Regardless of what happens. They don't know if they'll ever see each other again. Right? David could die. Jonathan could die, right? I don't know what Jonathan's father's going to do with him now. And certainly in any ensuing battles, they don't know what might happen to either of them. So they don't know if they'll see each other again or not. We'll wrap this up with uh, three takeaways for today's message. Number one, live in humble submission to God's sovereignty. That's what Jonathan demonstrates, right? He, he demonstrates that submission to, to God's sovereignty even when it's not in his favor, um, that's something that we ought to emulate as well. Number two, don't allow jealousy to fester. When we feel jealousy, anger, covetousness towards someone else, we can't allow that to fester. We need to confess it. We need to ask God to change our hearts. Don't allow it to grow like Saul did. And lastly, be willing to lay down your life for your friends. That's what, that's what Jonathan does here for David. He's willing to lay down his life for his friend. He risks his life. He sacrifices the throne for his friend. That's what Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's, of course, what Jesus has done for us. Right? He laid down his life for us on the cross. That he died on the cross for our sins, that we might find forgiveness and peace with God. That if we accept him as our Savior, accept the forgiveness that he's offered us, if we make him Lord over our lives, then we can have abundant life now and eternal life to come. And that offer is available to you. Uh, if, if that's not something you've come to know, please uh, come talk to me after. I'd love to, to talk to you about that. And, and right now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and then we're going to take communion in remembrance of that sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Um, the, the bread representing his body, the, the juice representing his blood, and we take that in remembrance of, of what he has done for us. After uh, that, we'll sing one closing song, and then we'll have a prayer team available over here. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up, and they'd love to pray for you. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story uh, of, of true friendship with uh, David and Jonathan and God, and I pray that we would have uh, this same uh, kind of friendship uh, among ourselves, God, that we would um, have that humility, that sacrificial love that we might um, that we might lay our lives, be willing to lay our lives down for one another, be willing to sacrifice for one another, be willing to humbly submit to your will. And we pray these things in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen.